Hey everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. Welcome, welcome everyone. I'm so grateful to have you here with me at episode 30. What a thrill. In honor of reaching our 30th episode, and as a little thank you for being here on this journey with us, we're doing a giveaway. Woohoo! Included will be the kinds of items I use most when shopping package free some cloth bags, a jar funnel, and some other things I find super useful. To participate, you have to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and when you see our giveaway post on Instagram or Facebook, leave a comment with one thing you're doing to shop low waste. Giveaway closes May 29th at midnight, and the winner will be chosen at random. Community seems to be a recurring topic on the podcast lately, and what I'm discovering is that action at any level doesn't happen without a well-meaning group of people getting behind something bigger than themselves and making it a reality. Today I chat with my friend Mark Woolley, social activist and Google Groups nerd. We talk about Transition Town Peterborough and some of his big and brilliant ideas for his neighborhood to become leaders in combating climate change by blending action with community. What should we do to begin? Let's get to know each other. Welcome! So you're an activist, you're a longtime Peterborough resident, and what is kind of your story like how did you get into climate change activism what is your interest in composting tell me all about it i've always been a greenie my mom brought me up eco-friendly we always recycled we composted we gardened that was just in the water just like it was for you and for your dad which is our connection Mm -hmm. doing that kind of work and being aware of those kinds of issues is just part of being me I came back to Peterborough in 2000. I bought my house in 2004. Even before I bought my house, I was involved in the folk festival as a volunteer. I was involved in the running club and and organizing running races. So I was doing community stuff. Yeah, like if you're looking for a connection to anything that's going on in the city, you can just call up Mark Woolley because I literally used to see him at everything I went to. (laughs) And you obviously went to much more than I even go to, like that protest and whatever else is going on in the world. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. So you're already involved in the community. I was already involved in the community. Then I bought my house and it's on a lovely uh, 110-year-old street here in Peterborough, pre-car. And I immediately said, it's time to meet my neighbors and it's time to get social with them. And we jumped into doing a, a big potluck progressive dinner the very first year I was there and by the second year I was there I had a communication system set up so we could talk to each other and I literally know everybody on my street then I had a house break in and that made me get more active right and and start reaching out to the wider neighborhood and we built another communication group for the neighborhood and it turned out somebody on every street had been broken into by the same robber so we had this reason to talk yeah it was kind of a negative reason but out of it we have this great system where we we reunite people with their lost pets and we find kids summer jobs and we reference plumbers for each other and just all sorts of wonderful things happen and that's all just community building right it's not eco it's not climate change but uh since that's underlying my worldview yeah it is kind of because i think one of the things we need to do is get to know each other and change the way we live and be resources for each other so that we don't rely on Walmart to be our resource. Yeah. So I come at this from a community building point of view. I come at this from a computer guy. I'm a professionally I'm a computer guy, so I bring computer tools into the into the mix of yeah. my community work. And um, 
as you hinted at most recently, uh, our little neighborhood project has been a, a composting thing. And, and there are other composting advocates on my street. They're actually, frankly, wizards at composting <laughs> on my street. Uh, yeah, you have people with digesters on your street. We have digesters. We have Lori Westaway, who uh, used to be the county waste coordinator and now is an instructor at up at Trent part-time and does consulting work. We have a woman who no longer lives on our street who is running the Reloop platform organization in Europe out of uh, Barcelona, Spain, which is doing things like nationwide bottle return in Scotland what? and trying to get circular economy passed at the European level parliament stage. Wow. This okay. Was, That's this was, awesome. This was my next door neighbor. And I still do work with her husband on a consulting project every year about recycling in Canada. Wow. I just worked on that this afternoon for an hour and a half doing GIS stuff. Man, I picked a good street to talk about today. <laughs> this is great. So this is this is like, you know, there's my high level overview. Sure, yeah. These are all the people that you are engaged with on a regular basis. So you're already thinking about community. I like what you said about how it's underlying your worldview, but it's underlying a lot of things that are important in order to have that slow living movement, a low impact movement, you're not everybody running out to Walmart or wherever every time you're out of something. You can go next door and ask for a cup of sugar. You can go next door and borrow a lawnmower instead of owning your own. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about sharing things in your community, your neighborhood and your ideas with that? Once you get to know each other and you have a, a couple of socials a year. Yeah. That's how you get to the point where the cup of sugar becomes easy, mm -hmm. right? And the, you know, somebody will call up and, you know, can I borrow this tool? I, I've loaned my ladder this week. Last mm -hmm. week, another neighbor said, hey, did you hear about these library of things, things on this website? And I'm like, yeah, we tried to set that up six years ago and nobody bid at the time. Do you want to try again? Yeah. <laughs> and by the libraries, way, they're and wonderful. By, by the way, do you know about the tool library in town? And, and you know. Oh, okay. So, uh. Last week on the podcast, we talked with New Grocery, Sia Viramani from uh, Ottawa, and she was talking about how to get involved in your community if there's not a zero waste group, to reach out to similar groups like a tool lending library or something like that to see if they want to get involved. And she was like, does Peterborough have one? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so apparently we do. And that's great. It got set up about three years ago. Yeah. Um, Were you part and... of the ground level startup for that? You would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't at all leading on that. I certainly knew it was going on. We had we had sort of a, a more general makerspace meetup conversation going, and uh, it didn't seem to get focused, but some people really wanted to do the Tula Library, the folks at the Endeavor Center, and they uh, had some resources and some space and were able to write some grants and get it happening, and cool. it exists. Uh, it's also tightly connected to the community bike shop, right? I mean, there's another very focused tool resource. Tell me briefly about the community bike shop. What is that? The community bike shop's up on George Street, right across from the big old theater's showplace and the, the venue and stuff. It's a member-supported community bike shop. They have about five or six workstations. They have lots of expertise. Hmm. They, You pay an annual fee or you can pay by the hour. They sell used bikes, they sell new parts, they, you can go down into the basement where there are racks of wheels and seats and gears and chains and bells and find used parts, which they sell wow. very reasonably. 
They have programs for people who can't afford a bike to come in and get the skills to build their own bike from parts at the same time they're doing some shop work like sweeping the floor and sorting parts. And at the end of it, they walk away with a bicycle. Oh my having, gosh, that's amazing. It's, it's a beautiful program. They're, they're, they will, they, they service all kinds of range. Like you can go in with your high, a pretty high-end bike that needs a new paint job and twice a year, they will organize and send off a whole bunch of bike frames for repainting. Wow. For people who are at that level. Yeah. And then they, if you want to just go in and keep your beater running, they're happy to talk to you too. They have kids programs. They have women's programs. It's amazing. That social activism is underlying all of these things too. So we've got community, we've got social supports and making things accessible for people of all different income levels. And then we've got environmentalism. Yeah. All of these things are just blended together. And they together. show films and have just fun nights and do midnight <laughs> rides where you deck your bike out in Christmas lights and go running, riding through parks at midnight as a group. So they, there's, they're fun. That's great. I didn't know all of that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So back to your street, Pearl Avenue, we've got um, composting. What was the composting project that you started well, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, so I was sitting in my house and back in November and thinking, what are some things that we could do really locally, starting with my tightly connected street of Pearl, challenging the other streets nearby, modeling the behavior, challenging people in the wider city, just doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and then making noise about it, and then maybe that enables politicians to make policies and change things. So I came up with this whole cascade of things, and composting is step one. Yeah. Because it's really easy. Yeah. And everybody should be doing it. And everybody could do it because we all eat food. So. And for the most part, in a city that's built like Peterborough is, most of us, or lots of us, have a backyard. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that the, the residents and the politicians some of the residents see a real sparkle in replicating the big city green bin program. And there is maybe a push for that under our new mayor. I think the green bin has a great place in a dense urban center where you've got population density and where you don't have space to, to do recycling. And if you do, you're doing it so intensely that you could deal with problems around right. attracting yeah. vermin. So in those kinds of settings, which could apply to downtown Peterborough and to high rises in Peterborough, a green bin makes all the sense in the world. But the right. cost of running trucks up and down all these residential streets when everybody's got a backyard doesn't make much sense. So I don't know if yeah. we can sell a hybrid kind of program where they serve the people who need it and the other people, it's like, yeah, we'll give you a composter. Yeah. Or we can... or. The thing you showed me is awesome, that share comp, share waste share waste com. app, yeah. Sharewaste.com, which is already happening on Pearl Lab. And you've got, so the way composting, this was the first step, and I can talk about the other envisioned steps. They go quite far. Cool. So the composting thought was, I just put out a call to my neighbors because I can write a single email to this Google group thing and 40 emails go out to the people on my street. Nice. And I said, I would like to talk about composting. And I know it's January, but that gives us time to talk about it. <laughs> and then we can see if there's interest. So if you're interested in composting, either you already do or you don't or you're interested, let me know and respond to this email. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a huge amount of response, but there were a few people who definitely engaged and said, I, I'm an active composter and I would love to talk about this. Cool. Several weeks later, we decided on a night and people came over to my house and about six of us sat around a table and um, 
talked about what we did for composting, what we thought we could do for composting, and, you know, the, the visions got quite grand. We're like, could we actually keep our leaves on the street instead of putting all those bags out on the curb to get picked up? And at one point they were being trucked to Belleville, Why? hideously. Why? Because Peterborough decided not to do its leaf composting locally anymore. But and we some do it at corporation, the a capitalist, decided he could make money by driving our leaves in trucks all the way to Belleville. Capitalists. Uh. So, <laughs> and since that time, I've really tried to put out no leaves. Right. Because it's just too hideous. So I'm trying to find somebody with a deep backyard or an unused corner where we could actually set up a neighborhood leaf, leaf compost. composting bin. But yeah. even before then, you can start investing in composting infrastructure that you would never think of yourself but if you've got 20 houses together you might buy a little wood chipper oh. to run your branches through so can you, can you compost run them. what if you ran your compost through a wood chipper what if you ran your leaves through it right or like, and, and what about a compost screen to when you're harvesting your compost you put it in a nice box and you shake it through and the really fine stuff goes through and the stuff that's not ready goes back in i mean uh -huh. several of us have those already Oh, I know. Just because we've built them. I will do that. But now we can start sharing them because we're in communication yeah. about composting and maybe replace the ones that are kind of broken down. Yeah. So how yeah. many people do you think now, closer to springtime, are interested in being involved in either bringing compost to someone else's backyard or doing it themselves? So the way it shook out is we had a couple of more meetings talking about things and we put out more emails and we talked. We After that first meeting, we decided... We just need to go talk to our neighbors. We know who composts, roughly. We know who probably doesn't. We each picked a neighbor or two and just literally went and had a coffee with them and talked about composting. Mm -hmm. And some people said, oh no, I've got a composter. I just haven't been using it. And some people said, yeah, I would re-engage if I had help. So my next door neighbor is an 80-year-old woman. Yeah. And just had a knee replacement and she's not going to go out and try and shovel compost. I said, I will do that part of the job. You make the food and dump it in and mm -hmm. two or three times a year, mm -hmm. my strong back will come and help. Yeah. And somebody else doesn't need physical help, but they need know-how help. And somebody else doesn't need know-how help, they just need encouragement. So you find out what people yeah. need and you help. Yeah. And On a very so, individual level, it seems. Yeah. yeah. You, you just meet people where they're at. Two weeks ago, Lori... Uh, went and bought three brand new composters from the city at their greatly and they're only 33 bucks or something if you buy them through the city and the big she went, black ones right yeah she yeah. went to the the county where she's got relationships and she got like stickers to put on your blue box saying we compost to you uh, and That's she great. got information stickers to put on the bin that you have in your kitchen to remind you what to put in and, oh. and, and booklets about how to compost and so we gave these out to people and on on Easter Monday we installed three new composters plus a fourth one that somebody had already bought but didn't have up and running yet and cool. it was just just sitting in the middle of the yard so we just said it should go there boom 10 minutes they're hmm. composting now nice so we've got four new composters out of that exercise we visited four or five other people in the neighborhood and just yeah. spruced up their composter gave it a good stir straightened it up yeah you know looked at it gave them encouragement you know. So we certainly engaged with at least half the people very actively that day on the street. And we know other people are just composting and like, yeah, we're fine. We don't need any help. This, awesome. isn't, our, this isn't our thing, but we do it. Yeah. And wow. now we can do another round. That's right? great. That's so cool. <laughs> so it's really grassroots. It's simple. Um, you know, I need to go back and talk to my neighbors and say, how's it going? 
Yeah, and touch base in. with them and touch see, base with them. Like, and once they've got enough food built up, I'm going to go and talk to my friend who has a whole lot of red wigglers and get them some worms. So you can put those <laughs> outside. Uh, you can. I mean, there's a little quandary because they are an introduced kind of invasive species. <laughs> and you're Jeez. releasing them into the wild. But trust me, worms are... Most of the worms in North America are not native. And, and also, they're everywhere. they'll get eaten if they get out of the composter, right? Like well, they go the, underground, eh? I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. But raccoons and moles, they dig. So they're yeah. going to eat your worms. So anyway, most, most vermicomposting is inside, I thought. But maybe, maybe you I, can I also... I put some red wigglers in my composter six years ago, and they have overwintered successfully every year since. Okay. So, and you just have a black one, like yeah. those black plastic ones. Okay, cool. Yeah, because we've got our big box. I don't know if listeners have seen that on my Instagram, but we have this box that we built out of um, skids, yeah. and it's lined with chicken wire, and mm-hmm. it's sort of set into the ground a little bit, and it's just, you know, this big meter by meter squared yeah, cube. And uh, yeah, I would love to put some worms in there. Talk who's to my your, buddy. Who's your worm guy? It's a secret. Okay. <laughs> worms are really hard to come by. Why? I don't know. They. I was talking to somebody. You can order them from Kathy's composters. Good, because uh, I was talking to somebody at Transition Town, and they would like a worm vendor for their Dandelion Day event at the end of May, oh. and they're having trouble finding one. Okay, she was there at uh, the CD Sunday. So anyway, so maybe they can I'll be connected, or I will, or I will put my secret friend in touch. Well, that's one of my little projects for. You Transition can put them Town. both in touch. Yeah. What's Transition Town, Mark? So Transition Town Peterborough mm-hmm. is. A local implementation of the Transition Town movement, which is worldwide. Oh, um, didn't know it was that big. Uh, and my sense is that it maybe comes out of England originally, but I'm not actually sure about that. I know there are some really sort of famous Transition Towns like Transition Town Totnes and Br- Bristol and some other ones in England. All right. Peterborough is the first Transition Town in Canada. It's been around for over 11 years. They've been publishing the Green Zine for over 11 years yeah. now. Um, they have a number of established projects here and this is kind of interesting because I came up with my idea back in November that started with composting Mm -hmm. and then I had my meetings and then I went to a transition town meeting and they said, oh yeah, we're finally getting around to this thing that used to be called transition streets, which had always caught my ear. Okay. And now it's called transition neighborhood project. And they have a workbook that's come from this worldwide organization as a framework, you know, great big many 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 page pdf that they now are getting reviewed by local folks at city hall and other local organizations to peterboroughize it okay and that will soon be ready for review and roll out as a resource for neighborhoods in peterborough and transition town peterborough has selected four neighborhoods that they want to pilot it in and i'm just going to make Pearl the fifth pilot and lead yeah. that one on my own. Yeah. Because it talks about energy descent, it talks about water, it talks about food, it talks about health, it talks about culture, it talks about sustainability. It, the biggest piece is energy descent, right? Like how do we ratchet our lives differently so we use less energy? Yeah. Um, and uh, so those pillars of transition town are key. They use permaculture philosophy um, I love that. <laughs> uh, as sort of an underpinning guide to do things their projects i mean people will know some of their projects because they're fairly public they have a couple of big 
festivals every year, the Purple Onion Festival in uh, September. Just in Peterborough or also worldwide? This is, these, are the, these are the Peterborough events. Yes. And right. they have this Dandelion Day, Day. that I mentioned uh, in May. So they, oh, they've got the Green Zine, which is an excellent document. They're trying to make it a little reader friendlier. They want to do some editorial stuff there, I know. Uh, they have an electrical vehicle meetup. That happens coincident with the Purple That's Onion Festival. That's cool too. They have... There's probably not enough of a community supporting people with electric vehicles. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. We've got this one guy in my street, and he's he's pretty quiet, and he doesn't really, kind of, you know, he he keeps to himself. He's a retired guy. He's the only one on the street with an electric vehicle. Hmm. Transition Town sounds like a really incredible initiative. And I love that it's come to Peterborough and that it's been in Peterborough for so long. How do other people bring it to their neighborhoods? Well, I think the easiest entry point is just what, look for the green zine around town. It's in lots of cafes and restaurants. Worldwide. And what, worldwide. Like, how, there's a worldwide network already. Yeah. And so how do you kind of engage in that? I, I, it's all online. You know, you just yeah. Google Transition Town and find Transition Town HQ. And, and you know, there are founders and there are people to talk to and I'm sure there's recipe books on I'm you know how to engage and how to how to make it happen in your community mm -hmm. um, obviously there are other transition towns in Canada so there are local you know people in other nearby communities you can talk to mm -hmm. um, depending on how active they are and how how skilled they are I mean when we talk about transition town Peterborough and I should say their scope isn't just the city they also very much include the county and the First Nations okay in their partnerships yeah so What's the aim of Transition Town? Like, I know it's to reduce the carbon emissions of, you know, focus groups because it's easier to manage a focus group than it is to, you know, say, everybody in the world, let's do it. Well, their subtitle is probably Building a Local Living Economy. And there's a very, they're very frank about being about economics, too, and being the, in a really rooted sense of economy where it's about running your household. How do I run my life? How do we run our community economy. in a way that's deeply sustainable and that still lets us be prosperous enough mm -hmm. that life is good? Yeah. Uh, and and to be connected with other humans well enough that life is good. You know, that's why culture is one of their pillars because to be able to gather or to be able to be creative in those artistic and cultural senses adds great vibrancy and value to a community. And that's, that's one of the reasons Peterborough is so amazing, mm -hmm. right? Because you have all of these amazing cultural things going on every single day. Yeah. Does Transition Town have any sort of budget for this? Like if you were to install those composters or everybody, you know, wants a digester for their street that so they can bring, you know, certain types of compost like meat and stuff to uh, that one person's house. Does Transition Town Peterborough support that financially, or is that just something that everybody has to chip in for? Yeah, I think there's there's a real philosophy in Transition Town that a lot of their work is volunteer based and it's just self fund your own stuff. Uh, they certainly have some supporters that pay advertising fees, particularly to the Green Zine, so they can actually afford to publish that. Okay. And uh, some sort of sponsorships like that. They aren't. They haven't historically gone and written grant proposals to try and get funding in that sort mm. of way, which is a limitation because it means they it limits their size and how many resources they have. But it also means if the government goes away, they aren't affected. Oh, and, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. And they can actually nice. they can actually have that worldview that things are pretty dire and that they want that local living economy that's resilient in case things go really bad. And if things go really bad, they don't want to be affected. Right. So it's that self-sufficiency uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And self-sufficiency within a neighborhood. So it's not just I personally have to grow all my own food. I have to have my own electrical system with a wind turbine or something up on my roof. I gotta like have everything all on my own. Instead, it's a community that's being. And, and some of my ideas about, you know, what to do on Pearl Avenue, this, this train of thinking that I had back in November <laughs> that I'm now sort of morphing over and saying, okay, I'll try and align with this transition neighborhood project, even though it may not go far enough. But, you know, I wanted to do, so I wanted to start with compost. I also have a project I've been wanting and mentioned several times on my street. I usually get a little pushback, and a little pushback is sometimes all it takes to pause something. But I would just like to change waste collection, um, mm. which is... And, and the city publishes in their calendar to twin your bins, right? So if you live beside somebody, put all four of your blue boxes beside each other. So they make one stop for two houses. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right? So you just, if everybody did Already that, more efficient. Yeah. twin your bins just between two houses, that would half the number of stops that the garbage trucks make. That's yeah. wear and tear on vehicles. That's just efficiency. That's, that's you know, my, my idea would be we can even do better than that because on my street we have a little parking regulation where we can only park on one side of the street from the 1st to the 15th and then the other side of the street for the 16th to the end of the month. Same here, yeah. And that, that, that it only, it, it's only enforced during March and April in my neighborhood. Okay. And I would like to extend it year-round and voluntarily make parking more restrictive. This from a guy who doesn't own a car, so. So that's why there's pushback, but go on. It's a, maybe a bit of pushback there. Why but would the you interesting thing that? is if you yeah. put all your cars on one side of the street, why the heck wouldn't you put all of your garbage on the other side of the street and then that halves the number of miles traveled by the trucks yeah because you walked an extra 30 feet on you know? all of these quiet residential streets like you're not yeah, going to do no, it on like you know it, the main main street of the yeah and if you're a big you know, you know downtown where people have you know businesses are putting out a lot of material once or twice a week because but in a neighborhoods lot of but neighborhoods avenues and, and yeah. things like that like that's a good that's idea a, subdivisions that's a heck of a lot of Peterborough could do that. Subdivisions should totally be doing that. And again, I just kind of wanted to do it guerrilla direct action from the bottom (laughs) up. Get Pearl to do it. Tell the next street over, hey guys, look what we're doing and see if we can get them to do it. And then if, you know, a whole bunch of streets are doing it, you know, the garbage collectors will figure it out. Even if they still drive down the street twice, once is just a straight through pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's no braking, there's no wear and tear, there's no time taken. It's just like drive, because they can, you know, whatever it works out. Less fossil. So that was a, that was the next little step. Yeah. And then I thought, like, why aren't we sharing Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi is oh. now unlimited. Yeah. You know, you can get all these unlimited packages. These houses are close enough together. We could just go zigzag up the street, half the number of houses, share the bills. Yeah. And and it share passwords, so anywhere you wander around your neighborhood. You're connected. And that was an interesting exercise to me because that would get us as neighbors relating to each other financially. That is a hard Which, next step, I think. Well, but it's, I think doing internet, especially since we can all subscribe to unlimited internet, it's intentionally a small step. Like it's not a very contentious thing. I don't know. Like the relationships next... even have hard times without like sharing an income. Like I don't I think that... I don't want to it's shut that down, but it's like challenge, yeah. that would be a whole but other it's only level a step, for people. It's only an introductory step because I want to really do some stuff here, right? <laughs> so my next thing was car share. 
<laughs> which and I started talking about this, and the people at the other end of the street said, "Oh, we already do that informally." Oh yeah, people are already lending cars to each other. Yeah, yeah. I don't think like, I've ever borrowed a neighbor's vehicle, but I know that I get it and makes it's a sense. Curi- and it's a curious thing. I said, "Well, that's really cool. I'm so glad to hear that." And I mean, I came back to my street a few weeks ago, and somebody came running out of a party and said, "I've been wanting to talk to you. We need a car share because we had to buy a second car. We need 1.1 cars in our family." Yeah. And they only come in holes. And so now we have two and we hate it. So, you know, he needs to get talking to the other people on the street and get in on this occasional car share. The funny thing for me is that, you know, a car share kind of works when it's informal like that if you've got a car to offer. And I don't because I sold my car 13 years ago. Yeah, which I think is awesome. Maybe that's why I'm interested in a more formal car share, right? And so my, again, my IT hat would say... We need to do some data collection. For the next year, we should log how we're using our cars and figure out how many cars we actually need. Yeah. And then get together as 20, 25 households and say, let's talk about doing this. Let's sell all of these older cars and buy some nice electrical vehicles. Let's make sure we've got a truck because that's handy once in a while. And let's make sure we've got a van because that's handy once in a while. And you know, how many people buy a bigger car for that once in a while and then drive it around all the time? Whereas if they had access to it, Mm-hmm. you know communally so that was the next step and then i wanted to um then i wanted to look at something really really bold and it's partly because of the design of my neighborhood it has alleyways and i wanted to look at district heating which is a huge climate change place so what you do is you build a single furnace in the back alley that's you invest in you've got 20 people paying for it yeah so you can put a pretty decent system in geothermal biomass redundantly powered by solar panels <laughs> But, you're, but you've got 20 people sitting in, in half-million-dollar homes That's as true. It's equity a nice neighborhood. Yeah. to build that on, yeah. right? And so you put, and again, you have to form a whole lot of relationships because you've done car shares and shared Wi-Fi and done compost. Yeah. Like all those are building blocks yeah. to get to the big project. Yeah. And then you run pipes up and down the alley and you do a heat exchanger in each house. And now you don't have 20 furnaces burning gas and oil. You have one furnace moving water using solar power and geothermal retrofitted into 110-year-old homes. <laughs> right? And then you tell the next block to do it as well. And then you tell, wow. right? But you have to break huge molds. Like you're talking about property boundaries. You're talking about having a shared corporation between 20 households that's like a co-op. And if you sell your house, the new person coming in buys their share of the thing and there's maintenance and there's operation and there's all kinds of stuff. So why aren't suburbs being built in this way? Well, there's one in Okotoks that's built that way. They do it in Scandinavia all the time. They have district heating. They have district heating in big plants. General Electric has a, has a district heating system. They exist. They just weren't done in residential systems. But they should be. Should be, they be? They'd be really efficient. Well, it didn't, it didn't fit the ethos of individuality of, of the world of modernity. Where everybody had to be their own insulated, self-standing person. I am independent. I do not rely on anybody. If that's the ethic, then no, you can't do district heating. You also end up with a dead planet. Right. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And the next thing after that... Yes? ...is to follow a co-housing model and do proper urban densification that is also a huge energy descent thing where you say... Some of these houses are too big for us because most people aren't living in family units of four and five people anymore. The average household size in Canada is 2.5 and there's astounding numbers of single people living alone. I, There are people in houses on my street bigger than my house living alone. Yeah. 
in a 2,000 square foot home. Yeah. And so what's, and the, again, the, what's the process to change Ugh. the ethic around nicely subdividing those up? There's a new law in Ontario supporting saying people have a right to have a secondary suite in their house, whether that's a subdivision of a house or adding a second building and laneway housing is all the rage in London, England, right? Like these little people have these houses that are in the back alleys and they're really posh little super funky tiny apartments. <laughs> tiny living. Yeah. 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 Tiny living. But there's laws and bylaws being actively looked at at city council to support secondary suites. That makes your downtown denser. And that it... means you cut down on travel. I don't own a car. So if I, instead of having 50 people on my block, we had 100 people on my, my block. Lots of them wouldn't need cars. Yeah. Your arts and cultural scene would get better. You would have more people working downtown. Yeah. Your city would become more vibrant and resilient yeah. and better because density can bring that. You know? And so, and, and at the same time, there's these things within the co-housing world where you have this really intense sense of community where you actually take one of the 20 houses. And my neighbors literally talked about this three years ago. Yeah. One of the houses in the middle of the block was being sold. And it was said casually at a, at a, at a community dinner. Should we all just buy it and make it a common house? What would a common house be? Like so for a all common of you house use? is where you'd have your local tool library. A common oh. house would have a big freaking dining room and enough plates for everyone. Wow. A common house would have your guest suites. Because if you take your house and downsize it, how many people have a spare room in their house for when their kid visits twice a year? Right. But they could stay in the bedroom in the common house across the street. Right. Wow, this sounds And this beautiful. is how co-housing places work too, right? They have a big common house. It's got a nice big kitchen. You can have social gatherings there. You can just go there and watch TV with whoever you want to watch TV. Because you live alone, but there's people watching TV across the street. Right. And you have a share of that house. So you just go and hang out. And you This know. is so idyllic. I'm worried <laughs> about all the people who are kind of, you know, it's like when you go back to university and there's somebody watching tv in the common room and and you want to watch something else and did you, you know a scuffle but, happens but, but an like... interesting thing is like in the in the common room in residence that's the tv in a co-housing situation there's a shared tv but you've probably got your own tv too what's your advice for how to talk to neighbors because you're a very outgoing person but uh, and yet like, i'm an introvert well that's i throw that in just to say that anybody can do it my energy will be depleted even after this interview because yeah this takes a lot of out of me and I'm glad to give. What do you say to people if you want them to start even just reaching out on their own block? Like I just moved into this place in October. I know. And I, was I here. have so far, yeah, you helped move <laughs> us in. That was very helpful. <laughs> and so so far I have talked to Bob and Gloria next door and borrowed a rake. Yeah. And I have talked to John and Hero the other side and yeah. they are inviting me to tea so they can see my baby um but like that's that's as far as i've got and it's you know born out of just seeing each other on the street is that the only way that you connect like how do i talk to people all the way down at the end of my street well i don't i don't think you start there i think you just grow there right like so i think within a reasonable amount like i kind of figure what you can see from your front porch it's a good place to start is a good yardstick right like yardstick uh, how old am i if, um, you know, if somebody was moving in, in a moving truck around the corner and uh, two blocks away, you don't know it. But if somebody moves in across the street, mm -hmm. you're aware of it. Yeah. So they're in your, they're in your circle. You also know your neighbor, Yvonne, who brings your composter over. You also know of my friend, Mike, 
and you should go meet Mike and June because right. they live six houses away. Okay. And I will introduce you to them because you're all <laughs> lovely people. Um, I think being outside. Yes, summer is, is going to help a lot. Summer is huge because you get out there and you garden and you sit on your porch. I, I mean, part of the the physical built reality of my neighborhood, Pearl Avenue, is that it has front porches. Yeah. And yeah. that was a brilliant, intentional design by the people who owned that farm property 110 years ago. They said, when they said, we're going to make give our farm over to be a neighborhood, there will be front porches. Wow. Before a house was built, that was coded in to the design of the neighborhood. And it that's... makes for a beautiful neighborhood. But yeah, urban design is a huge thing. I mean, reimagine Peterborough was doing so much good work uh, when they were trying to support the city doing the official plan about urban densification and stopping suburban sprawl and talking about the costs of suburbs and the stuff that, that nobody sees because it's just in the water like everybody has to have a car but those houses in suburbs like i just don't understand why they need to have five bedrooms and four and a half bathrooms because well, it's interesting because the newest suburbs the... that have been britain have been done under tighter provincial guidelines so if you go out to the suburb that's up by on that swampland off Park Hill up by Jackson Park, or you go to a suburb that's out on out up Trentway up in the edge, it actually hits the density targets of 80 people living and working per hectare. Really? They're really tight. They are townhouses. They are small apartment buildings. So some of those new suburbs are quite dense. They're far denser than this neighborhood. And far denser than the one up on Shemong that's being put in right now that's just sprawling. Sprawling, yeah. Tiny yards, massive house. No, thank you. Well, it's interesting. A tiny yard a tiny yard makes for higher density. Not if the house is the size of two houses. Yeah. And there's only two people living in them. Yeah. Ugh. You need a place to store all your stuff. What stuff? you got at Walmart. No, get rid of it. <laughs> Be a minimalist. No, I don't know. Just, yeah. It's, well, it depends what it depends where you get your dopamine, right? It's excessive. They don't need to get your space. dopamine from getting stuff, and that means every day you need some more dopamine. You got to go get more stuff because that's the only way you know how to get dopamine is with external things. And that's how your cell is. That's how you're keeping yourself sane and happy. Unfortunately, you know, and and there's a horrible cost to the planet attached to that. And so, how do we bring people forward through culture, through connection with community? That they don't get their dopamine from going to Walmart to get the next Beanie Baby, right? Yeah. They instead get their dopamine from going out and having friends and being social and listening to music and seeing art and enjoying nature. And that's where they get their dopamine. Yeah. How do we switch people and how do, and, and that are in community and in relationship? Uh, how do we help people move forward to that? How do we do it? That's, that's exactly what we need to do. We do podcasts. We do podcasts. <laughs> Excellent. That's good. Well, I'm on the right track then. <laughs> One thing I would like to cycle back, and we'll see if this makes the pot, the edit, is to talk about Google Groups. Sure. Um, in all of this community building stuff, they always start off with, you need to meet your neighbors. And you were talking about that. I've met my neighbors here, and I've met my neighbors there. And I know I know Yvonne. She lives nearby somewhere. Just I'm only citing her because I know her as well. And... You know, you're doing the share waste, which puts your name out there and you could do a tool share or something and put your name out there and you have community that isn't geography based and that's completely valuable. Yeah. But I like to build infrastructure. So one of the things you need to build community is community infrastructure. And I think one of the ways to, to do that is to use technology. And one of the ways I've had success with is this thing called Google Groups. So all you need to be 
participate in a Google group is an email address. Right. And in fact, if somebody says, I just use my phone for text, that'll work. So a Google group allows you to subscribe emails addresses to this group thing, which will store email messages. And with the Google group, you get a new shared email address. So there's one out there called pearlav at googlegroups.com. You can't email it. You send an email to that because you're not a member. Oh, I can't. Oh, I see. Only people on Pearl Ave, only people in the group can write an email to that group. And the convenient thing is you write an email to that group and everybody gets a copy of it. We set one up on Pearl Ave. Uh, I mentioned the break-in, so we set one up called Peterborough Avenues that is up to 280 members now. Pearl is by far the most robust because I'm the one who steps out my front door and notices people missing. But part of my thinking was to have these smaller groups so there's somebody on Boswell Avenue who can step out their front door and own this Google group and say, oh, somebody just moved. I should go meet the new neighbors. Right, yeah. So it's a, a technological way of being aware of... Yeah. new people in the neighborhood and engaging them and get them and involved. Them so they I've had people yeah. that are moving on to Pearl Avenue find out from the real estate agent that the email group exists <laughs> and be added to the email group months before they even arrive. That's so nice. <laughs> so it adds incredible value to the neighborhood. Absolutely. It makes your street richer. People just arrive on the street, they unpack their truck, and they've already had conversations with people. Yeah. They've or already seen met. conversations with people. Yeah, exactly. And they've already had a little email written, written saying, hey, these folks are moving to the neighborhood. They're probably going to be here in mid-June. Yeah. You know? Let's welcome them when they arrive. Yeah. And yeah. we do that. Like, if there's a big influx one year, we have a welcome party. That's so nice. You know? so. How long did it take? Like, you've lived there for 13 years. How long has it taken to get to this point? Like, when did you start building community on your street? I started the Google group the second year I was there. Wow. Because we needed to talk about the Christmas party. <laughs> and I didn't want to keep running around with pieces of paper to everybody's front door. Or writing emails to 20 people, right? Yeah. I had a problem to solve. So I solved it that way. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, we do composting. Does anybody have a, a ladder? Does any, you know, who's, who do, you know. Yeah. A lot of people will read it and be involved that way. And they'll at least be hearing the information. So yeah. people who have maybe never even thought of composting before are now considering composting because they're yeah. seeing this conversation happening. And maybe about... it'll take a conversation walking down the street on the way to coffee and, and just a friendly hello. Yeah. They'll actually feel comfortable there to say, so about this composting. Yeah. But it's all that investment in... Because that conversation is something they've overheard and then they can bring it up. That. They'll be like, hey, there's Mark. Let's ask him yeah. about worms for our composter. So what is the next event in Peterborough that's coming up that you're most excited for? Compost week is next week. What is it? It's on like, the calendar. Compost awareness week. Is that just Peterborough or is that the world? I don't know. It's on the it's on the Peterborough calendar. I haven't actually dug into it. I just saw it there and I said, oh, I'm going to play with that in some way. All right. So I guess by the time this episode is out, compost week was last week. Yeah. So hope everybody had a good you know, compost week. What's your main takeaway for like, how do you build community? Just be part of it. Get out the door. Yeah. Community doesn't happen in your living room. Go outside. Yeah. What so Google Groups? So Google Groups, uh, not only have I been using them in the neighborhood, we also have used them in several community groups as well. But I am happy to help other people set these Google Groups up. In fact, we have a Google Group for people who run Google Groups. <laughs> and so if we put you in that Google Group, you're talking to a small group of people 
who have figured this stuff out well enough. Okay. So if you want to so, set yeah. up a Google group, I Contact invite anybody Mark. to send an email to this email address, av, A-V-E, planners, avplanners at gmail.com. Sweet. And we will talk about what you need. And we will put you in this Google group of Google groups to get you started. And then we'll help you. I'll sit down with you for an hour and just workshop you through it if you want. That's super useful. So, so anybody's anybody... neighborhood who wants to do it, anybody who's got a community group um, who thinks this would be a useful tool, I'm willing to help. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Let's leave it at that. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more about Transition Town Project and how to get involved, check out their website, transitionnetwork.org. We have tons of resources and information to get you started. If you like this episode about building community, you'd probably enjoy episode 25 about community gardens with Jill Bishop and the Nourish Project. You can find it in our archives on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Google Pods, and more. If you have an idea for the show or a comment, send an email to practicallyzerowaste at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at practicallyzerowastepod. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to participate in the giveaway contest by leaving a rating and review and leave a comment on our giveaway post when you see it. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash practicallyzerowaste and hit the support button. Have a great week, everyone, and talk to you soon.